So in this uh, series, we're trying not to be the turtle, trying not to be the turtle. Um, Last week, we had a a one-week break, and uh, uh, I had a chance to thank Pastor Ladner for uh, filling in for us last week. But this week, we're back into this series, and because it's been a couple weeks, I just kind of wanted to give you a reminder about the big idea, and maybe there's some of you that haven't been here for the first uh, couple sermons in this series. Um, On the screen, you'll find the, the big idea or the main idea of the series that our beliefs influence our attitude and behavior. If you've got your gold sheet, that's your first fill-in again this week. Um, And remember, we're not just talking about your belief in God. That certainly affects your attitude and behavior. But what we're talking about is a bigger picture, that what you believe about anything affects attitude and behavior. So what you believe about money, where it came from, why you have it, what you're supposed to do with it, affects your attitude about money and your behavior with money. What you believe about your classmates, about your boss, about your coworkers, about your pastor, about your spouse, about your kids, about your parents, anyone affects your attitude towards them, how you feel about them, and how you act towards them. Um, what you believe about hardship and why hardship happens, and how God sort of, um, where God's place is when it comes to hardship affects how you deal with hardship, your attitude about it, and also your behavior when a hardship comes. And the truth is, is that if we believe things that aren't true, it's going to affect our attitude and behavior in a way that it shouldn't. So we want to break free. How do we break free? A few months ago, I read an article about sailors breaking free from pirates. I don't know if any of you saw this article. And yes, young people, there still are pirates. They don't have peg legs and black hats and say, R um, and a parrot on their, their shoulders. But there are people who steal things from boats and even take over ships. Um, and they're called pirates. And these were right along the coast of Africa, where this is particularly bad. And sailors have found a brand new way to break free from sailors, break free from pirates. Anyone see this article? Okay, so the brand new weapon wasn't like tasers or guns or stun guns or, or tear gas or smoke you know, bombs or things like that. The brand new weapon, this is an, I honestly read this and it was, it was Fox, NBC, so this wasn't made up, Britney Spears. Britney Spears was the weapon. So here's what happens. Sailors think that pirates are coming towards their ship. They see pirates. And what they do is on the loudspeaker, they play Britney Spears as loud as they can. You know, oops, I did it again, whatever, all right? And it makes the, the pirates leave. And some of you are thinking, I knew her music was that bad, you know? <laughs> It's not the quality of the music, obviously. I read more, obviously, this article. And what it is, really, is that the pirates so despise the United States and Western culture that the music just drives them crazy. And sailors have found that this helps free them. So I figured, I know you guys are busy people. Let's just stop right here. Jason's handing out Britney Spears CDs today. You feel trapped. You just play, oops, you did it again, and uh, be, no, that's... That's not going to work, is it? What's going to break us free? Well, what we found is it's just truth. 
And the only truth that you can totally bank on and count on is the truth of God. And that's why Jesus said himself, the truth, God's truth, will set you free. And we need that. You know, it's amazing how when you believe certain things, it totally affects your actions. Take two people that have the very same I guess, life situation, and they react totally differently. Take something simple, like a red light, okay? Two people, both running late for work, both hit a red light. One person gets crabby and mopey for like an hour, frustrated because of the red light. Another person gets over it. Why? It has to do with what they believe and what those beliefs affect their emotions. Take, uh, again, a challenge in life. Maybe you know, maybe you are a person that when a challenge comes, you start questioning everything. And it drives you or someone you know further from God. Other people face a challenge and it drives them closer to God and they try to find more strength in Him. It has to do with what we believe in. We're not going to have time to go through every lie that we believe in this series, but What I've done is picked five of them that I see coming up over and over again as I struggle in my own life, as I talk with members of our church, as I counsel. These are things over the years that I've seen come up over and over and over again. And remember, when you hear the lie this week, next week, it may not be something that you right away think that you struggle with, but I guarantee you that in one way or another, either in a really big way or maybe in more of a small way, you do, and it's just hard to detect it because if it wasn't hard, you wouldn't struggle with it. So what's, what's today's lie? It's similar to um, the, the series, or I'm sorry, the sermon theme today, which is I'd like you to like me. Or our next fill-in, that I need, and I think the key here is the word need, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. I need everyone's acceptance and approval. Or I need everyone to like me. Now, let me clarify something. To desire and like for people to like you, that's good. In fact, If you're a person that could care less about other people and don't care if you hurt their feelings or make them upset with you, I mean, that's an entire different sermon that we need to talk about, okay? This isn't that. It's this, this need to have people like you or it negatively affects how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your life. And the reality is we all have a desire for people to like us approve of us. I mean, think about when you were a kid or if you were a kid. Did you ever join an activity purely based on hoping that you would fit in and people would like you? Um, Did you ever have certain um, clothes that you wore purely based on on people liking you? Um, in, in, In the 80s, I mean, Ladies, I got to say, you know, that hairstyle with all the hairspray and takes hours to get ready, you know, I mean, that, that probably wasn't the greatest look. It was 
fitting in, right? And, and this is what, it, you know, if you're in the in group, this is how you, you wear your hair. Um, for guys, I remember in middle school, there was this, this trend going around to, to roll up your, your pants legs really tight against your ankle. And actually, yesterday after church, one of the high school teens came out and he had he was doing the exact same thing that I did in seventh grade um, with his, his pants tied up real close, you know, against his ankle. And when that first started happening in middle school, I was like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. And it takes time, and I can't even roll it very well by lunch recess. It, it's out already. Um, by the end of the year, I'm rolling my pants legs. Because we want people to like us. It's a desire that we have. And that's okay to have a desire for people to want you or accept you. Um, and even the most gruff, sort of confident-seeming, self-sufficient man, I know your heart, on a certain level, you want people to admire you and to accept you. We all do. But at the same time, there's a couple things that I need to point out about this need for everyone to accept us. The first is this. That if we have this huge need for that, or we're not going to be happy, you're not going to be happy. Because when our first and primary sort of desire is for people around us to admire us and like us, a lot of times what happens is we are afraid to be who God created us to be. Our interests, our hobbies, all those sorts of things, our talents, and pretty soon, some people live their whole lives being what other people want them to be and never really have been honest enough to be themselves. So people like them, but it's superficial because it's not who they really are because they need to fit some sort of a mold. The other thing to recognize about this need for everyone's acceptance and approval is that it's impossible. You can't have everyone's acceptance and approval. Let me, let me give you an example. Imagine that I, I walk into a room, and it could probably be any room filled with more than 20 people, and say, hey, I just want everyone to know I'm a Republican. And right away, some people aren't going to like me. Walk into that very same room and say, hey, I just want everyone to know I'm a Democrat. Right away, you're not going to have everyone's approval. Walk the middle road. I want everyone to know I don't like Republicans or Democrats. In fact, politics are corrupt. I want nothing to do with it. I think government stinks. You're not going to have someone's approval. Walk into a room and say that you're a Vikings fan. Okay? Walk into a room and say you're a Packer fan. Walk into the room and say that you like Chevy or Ford. Walk into a room of moms and, and give your opinion on how to mother. It's impossible to have everyone's acceptance and approval, and you need to know that. Because some of us really struggle with certain people not liking us, and if it's because we've been sinful towards them, or because we're um, not forgiving, or we're arrogant, or whatever, that's, again, another sermon. <laughs> but on the very base level of you being who you are, and still people not liking you, we need to understand having everyone's acceptance and approval is impossible. Those who know me well know I struggle with this a lot. That I want everyone to like me. And I'll tell you, it was one of the hardest things for me in becoming a pastor. So 
10 years ago or so, um, fresh out of seminary, and I'm following a guy, a wonderful man, Pastor Fastenow, still friends today with him, um, great guy, great pastor. We were on totally two different sides of life. I'm coming into ministry, he's retiring from ministry, his family's all grown, I have little kids that I need to take care of, and, and, and I will say that I wasn't what everyone at the church was looking for, especially in comparison to the pastor that they already had. And it ate me up. I wanted everyone to like me. It took me a long time to recognize this truth that it's impossible. And, and if you still think there's a glimmer of hope for everyone to like you, I, I want you to think about this. So have, you have Jesus, right? And he is perfect. That means he does nothing wrong. And in fact, not just that he, you know some people who think they do nothing wrong and they come off as being arrogant and no one likes them, right? Jesus did nothing wrong and yet he wasn't arrogant because that was sinful. And he wasn't prideful because that would have been sinful. And he always loved people the way God commands us to love even our enemies because Jesus wasn't sinful. And yet how did he die? Murdered. Why? Because people liked him? You think you're going to get everyone to like you? We need to recognize today, and again, I'm going to preface this, it's not because we're, it should not be because we're arrogant or unforgiving or we make it hard for people to like us. That's a different sermon. But as we are who we are, you need to know that not everyone is going to like you. That you're not going to have everyone's acceptance and approval. And if you need that, which is our lie for today, if that's where you get your self-esteem from, if that's where you and I get our, our satisfaction from, if that's where we get, uh, I guess, um, our foundation from, other people or certain people liking us, we're going to be disappointed every single time because this is impossible. So, as you recognize that, now God gives us some truth to help us better deal with this lie that so easily we find ourselves believing. And to find the truth that will set us free, we, um, we're going to turn to the life of one of the most famous people in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote uh, two-thirds of the New Testament. We often look at things that he wrote, um, his name was Paul. And Paul was one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest Christian missionaries that ever lived. <clears throat> In fact, um, it's kind of like if you read Acts, that, that the 11 left disciples, they kind of took evangelizing Israel, and then Paul was like, I got the rest of the world, okay? He went to the rest of the Roman Empire, started churches all over the place. Hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus through his ministry. And as amazing as this part of his life was, it becomes even more amazing when you contrast it with the first part of his life. Here's what Paul wrote um, about himself in those earlier years of his life, he wrote I, in Philippians, I, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he did everything 
right in order to get the approval of the people in his nation or in his ethnic group. In regard to the law, I was the best of the best. I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was the best of the best. I was persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, that is finding my, um, my, my right standing with God through things that I do, I was faultless. And, and in fact, this motivation that Paul had at the beginning of his life to find his self-esteem through the approval of others, his supervisors, his other Pharisee friends and peers, went so extreme that he didn't just persecute Christians. Many of you know that he led the murder of people who followed Jesus. In fact, listen to how our section for today starts. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That's about 150 miles to the north. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that was a, a term used in um, the first you know, 100 years or so of Christianity to describe Christianity as the way, whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so Paul wasn't just content in his zeal to gather Christians from Jerusalem area where he lived, he asked his boss, the high priest, probably to get in good with the high priest in some ways, if he could have the right to go up to Damascus to gather Christians so he could bring them back to put them in prison and likely, hopefully, to have them killed. And while he was there, something happened to him. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, and again, he, many of you know this, but Paul, his name used to be Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do, verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound of the voice, but the men with him didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So his friends led him by hand into the city, into Damascus. And for three days he was blind. He didn't eat, didn't drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, all right, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And at this point, Saul's, or I'm sorry, Ananias' brain is starting to, you know, wheels are turning. All right, Saul from Tarsus, I know who that is. I don't think that's such a good idea. In a vision, this Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, 
I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, verse 14. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Christians, people who followed the way, knew that Saul had come. They knew why he was there. They were likely hiding from him. God says, Ananias, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This, this man, this this one who's persecuting Christians and killing them, God says, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And through this event in Paul's life, Paul went from being one of the worst Christian persecutors to one of the greatest Christian missionaries. And that outside activity that changed in his life, as huge as it was, and as big of a change as it was, is nothing compared to what happened in his heart. And we don't have lots of commentary in this section from Acts 9 of exactly what happened in his heart, in the sense of Luke doesn't write specifically about that. But we know that at the end of his visit with Ananias, Paul wants to be baptized, which is part and parcel to the fact that he must have come to faith, that he understood who Jesus was. And before he became the greatest missionary who ever lived, likely, first what happened was his heart changed. And he recognized what Jesus had done for him. And he recognized this, that he was accepted by God, that he had lived the first part of his life wanting to find the acceptance and the approval of the people around him, and his life totally changed when he understood that he was accepted by God. Now, you might look at Paul's life and you might think, we have nothing in common. I've not, can you imagine, I pray not, murdering someone? I mean, that, Paul was behind the murder of many people. And you might think we don't have a lot in common with him, but I tell you that we do. <laughs> you, you struggle with lots of sin. And you, you know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me it does, you do, and because I do. And yeah, we do a pretty good job of when we're out in public or we're at work or we're at church or we're at school trying to sort of smooth out the rough edges a little bit. But when you talk about the acceptance of people, if people knew everything we did, we'd have far fewer friends. If people knew even worse than that, the things that I think sometimes or the things that you think, would we have anyone's acceptance or approval? People would see right into the hearts and the sin in our hearts that we battle with every day. And yes, through Christ, we, we are able to live more and more for him every day, but we still struggle. There's not so much difference between the magnitude of our sins and the magnitude of Paul's. And yet, through Jesus, God has come to you as well. He says, 
My son has paid for all your sins. And I want you to live a changed life. I want you to know that because of my son, I accept you. That I approve of you. Not because I approve of your sin, but because I approve of my son's punishment and his, my son's sacrifice. And so in turn, I approve and I accept you through the forgiveness that my son has given. Point number two. If there's only one thing you remember today, remember this. In Jesus, you are fully known. What that means is he knows everything about you. You're not hiding a thing from him. As much as we might want to look a certain way to people on the outside or in public, you are fully known by him, and because of Jesus or in Jesus, he accepts you. And that is amazing. That is absolutely the amazing love of our God. Can I, let me ask you a big, question, big picture question. Um, I know that you want to be accepted by the kids in your class, and you want to be part of the, the whatever this means, the cool group. Um, I know that you would love for everyone in your neighborhood to think that you're the, the adults, the coolest thing since sliced bread. Um, I know that at work, you, you, want, you would like everyone to admire your work ethic and, and your management gifts, and that everyone, you want everyone to, to kind of would like to work with you on that next project. That's, we want our kids to love us. We want our spouses to adore us. And I get that, and, and I want that too. But not everyone at work or at school or in the neighborhood is going to like you. And many times, it's their problem. And the reality is, if the question is, is if you could pick one person, if you could just pick one person to accept you and to approve of you, who would you pick? The one who created you? Hey, he accepts you and approves you of you through Jesus, his son. The one who gives you all things? Through Jesus, his son, he accepts you and approves you. The one who holds the keys to heaven, he accepts you and through his son approves of you. And I pray that that brings a little bit of peace, knowing that you may not be perfect, but that the one you need the most and want the most, would want the most to love you and approve of you does. And here's the thing. When we realize and understand God has accepted and approved of us, just like with Paul, who went on to be the greatest missionary likely who's ever lived, it changes who we are. Um, as we close, listen to this uh, commentary that Paul writes about the changes in his life. He wrote, uh, years later, Am I now trying in my life to win the approval of people? Are you? Or, in contrast of God, am I trying to please men? Then he writes, if I were still, as in, I used to do this, if I were still trying my number one goal to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because a servant of Christ, someone who's been changed by God, they have a brand new purpose. 
yes, we want to love the people around us and it is good to serve them and all of that. But our number one purpose and everything else follows through, follows after that, is to live and serve and be a servant of Christ. And in fact, Paul had a brand new goal and we see that in 2 Corinthians when he writes, so then we make it our goal to please the people around us. No. We make it our goal first to please him, and then guess what? When we please him, we will be acting and doing the things that he wants us to do for the people around us. But our number one goal is to please him. And so there's a question that I'd like you to ask yourself every day this week, and maybe every day the rest of your life. It gets to the heart of who we are, and will help us fight this lie that sometimes we believe. Here's the question. How can I please God today? How can I use my time, my actions, my attitude to please God today? At work, I'm not going to make everyone happy. It's impossible. But the question is, is how can I please God today? At, at school, I'm not going to be liked by everyone. But the main goal is how can I please God today? At church, as a pastor, there's just certain decisions that are made that you, are, you know going into it, not everyone's going to be happy. But the real question for all of us is not how can I make everyone happy, but how can I please God today? People might love you, some people, and it's their problem, might not. But what does it matter? The God of the universe loves us. Some people may accept you and think that you're cool, some people may not. But who cares at the end of the day? Our foundation of who we are and of the way we should feel about ourselves is based on the acceptance of God through his Son, Jesus. And I pray that that brings you some freedom, that brings you some joy and some peace um, this week and always. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word that sets us free, Lord. We all at times um, struggle um, with acceptance and Lord, uh, as we look for acceptance of people around us, remind us that while that's nice, it shouldn't be what we need. What we need is what we already have. And that is acceptance and approval by you through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, this week um, you took home to yourself uh, one of our shut-in members named Marion Garbish. And we thank you for the faith that you uh, worked in her heart and rejoice that she is spending eternity with you right now. We ask you to be with the family as they uh, transition into this new season of life. We also thank you for the gift of a baby girl that you blessed to uh, Herb and Brooke Giles a couple weeks ago and ask you to continue to be with the Giles family as uh, they uh, center their family and build it on the uh, foundation of your son. And in Jesus' name we pray this and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 